You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. So we are wrapping up our series on Shepherd, the Flock of God. Over the last uh, few weeks, we have been just going through the scriptures and seeing, you know, we're, we're learning about the Good Shepherd, our Lord, but we're also learning how God has given us shepherds here on earth. That, those are your elders and your pastors. And uh, man, it's just been a great series. So we're wrapping that up today. And next week, can you believe it, is December. Goodness, we're already here. We're in the Advent season. We're starting a new series called Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. So we're looking forward to that. And just for the whole se- the season as a whole, man, we get the opportunity to share hope with our community this season. So, so we encourage you guys to just get involved with the initiatives and events that we're doing, right? It's not just for a good time, but we will have a good time. But ultimately, man, it's just to share the hope uh, that Christ brings to, to a hurting world. So... Um, so yeah, so we're looking forward to that. This morning, as we begin, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been lost? Okay, yeah. Some of you are lost with me asking that question. Like, well, wait, what did he say? Okay. How many of you, have you ever been lost? This Thanksgiving weekend made me super nostalgic. And uh, some of you may know that my wife and I were not originally from Maryland, and a lot of people that I talked to from Maryland aren't originally from Maryland, but uh, but yeah. So we weren't we weren't born here, and our families are both far away. So my family's in Canada, Kayla's family's in Hawaii. Uh, so normally we travel during the holidays, but this year because of our newborn, we stuck around. So so it made me feel nostal- nostalgic, sentimental, and. and and, you know, also in those times where you're thinking about family traditions and things like that, you also think back to stories of, like, how you grew up. And, uh, and would, it be okay, would it be okay with you guys if I share a story with you of my childhood? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So it was a cold, snowy February day in Brassard, Quebec, which is in Canada. That's my hometown. And seven-year-old Daniel Fuoco ran to his locker after his last class, which was gym class, okay? And now growing up, when you grew up in Canada, you went to school in a snowsuit, okay? Not in the summer months, but in the winter, yes, you did, okay? You, you had a, the whole getup. You had your gloves. You had your hat. You had the, the boots and snow pants, okay? The, the jacket, it, it, Everything, everything. If you've ever seen the, the movie, uh, is it a Christmas story? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the picture there. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm running to my locker room to get changed and to put on my, my snowsuit. And it's like, I was a chubby kid, let's be honest with you. So I'm this sweaty, chubby kid, and I'm trying to put my snow pants on and, you know, get ready. And, uh, and by the t- it took me long, a long time to get ready that day. And by the time I, I made it outside, the bus left, okay? I know, sad, sad day. I missed the bus. Now, the logical thing to do would be, for me to go tell a teacher or tell the principal, hey, I missed I miss the bus. And then they would then call my parents, let them know, hey, Daniel missed the bus. Can you come get him? My parents would come get me. End of story, right? But I decided to be adventurous and, and be very adventurous that day. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk home from school. 
And, uh, and I did that because one of my all-time favorite cartoon characters, Arthur, for you 90s kids out there, um, man, there was a story of him that he, when he missed the bus, he decided to walk home. So it was like, I'm like Arthur, I can do that. So careful what you let your kids watch. Um, so yesterday I checked on Google Maps because I, I walked this thing and I was like, how far was that exactly? So, so there's my school, Harold Knapper, and there's my home, home right there. So it is an hour and six minutes to walk it, and it's 4.8 kilometers. Yeah, we do kilometers in Canada. All right, we, it was 4.8 kilometers to walk. And you'll notice even in the center here, there is a highway. So yeah, give my mom a heart attack, let me tell you. Um, so little seven-year-old Daniel starts trekking in the snow on his way home. But the reality was I never walked home before. I didn't know the way. Uh, and I remember, right, as I was walking in, as I was navigating, I got to a point where I looked to my left and I looked to my right. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I am. You know, I, when I started this journey, I was so confident. I was like, I remember the bus route. I remember all the turns and stuff that the, the bus driver does. So I got this. I got this. I'm confident in myself. But in that moment, I was scared. I was so scared. I didn't know where to turn. And at that point, I was cold. My feet were hurting, right? My, especially like the, my, right, my right foot was stinging because I had snow in my boot. Um, I, was, I was hungry. I was cold. I was alone. And, and let me tell you, I was, I was getting really nervous because the sun was starting to go down, right? The winter months, the sun goes down pretty early. And that was starting to go down. And back in the 90s, it was a luxury to have a cell phone. I don't think most people had cell phones back then. So I couldn't even call my parents to be like, hey, mom and dad, go to find my iPhone, find where I am, and please pick me up. I didn't have anything like that. So it was just me on my own, all alone. The only thing I knew to do in that situation was pray. Pray and ask God to lead the way. Now, you may not have ever been in a situation like this, okay? I hope you haven't, but we have all been in situations before where we have felt helpless, scared, alone, and needing guidance. Maybe it was a season in your life where you, where you felt like your marriage was falling apart. Maybe it was the time you heard those terrifying words come out of the mouth of the doctor, or the time that the debt piled up so high with no end in sight, or the time the other guy at work got the promotion when you know that you deserve that promotion. Whatever the case or situation, we come up to a crossroads. My way or his way? My way or his way? And my question for us this morning is this. Are you confident in God's leading for your life? Do you trust him to bring you to where you need to go? And this morning, what I want to do, I'm going to remind us, and I'm reminding myself here, of our great leader. People use plenty of names and pictures to describe the Lord, but Psalm 23 masterfully captures the way God leads his people. The Lord is my shepherd. So as we, as we start to go through this psalm together, I want to give us a little bit of context 
because the person who's writing this is King David. And usually in, in the Old Testament, when, when you're talking, David is saying, right, the Lord is my shepherd. So he's saying, God is the shepherd and I'm the sheep. And normally in the Old Testament, when you're talking about sheep, you're usually referring to Israel as a whole. But what David does here is that he makes this a little bit more personal. Not only is the Lord our shepherd, but he's my shepherd. He is my shepherd. God sees the flock, but he also, he sees me, me specifically. And so far, if, you re, if you're reading the Psalms up to this point and you get to Psalm 23, you'll notice that God is, is described as the rock and the fortress, guide, shield, king, etc. But this metaphor highlights the love and care the Lord has for his covenant people. And it shows that David sees the Lord not as this distant, unapproachable divine being, but as a shepherd who lives with his flock and cares for their every need as a whole, but also individually. You know, I'll never forget the first time uh, meeting my wife's father. All right. And uh, I wanted to make a really good first impression because I wanted to show him that, right, like I'm a good candidate for your daughter. Right. Like she can't find no one better. Like I'm it. So I want to make a great first impression. And uh, and I remember, I don't know how many of you are, are good with first impressions, but if I don't practice, man, I get clumsy. I get, I get really clumsy. So I was like on my, on my way to Hawaii, I was flying out there, long flight. So I had a lot of time to just rehearse in my mind. Okay, this is what you're going to say. This is what you're going to do. Here are the conversations you're going to have in your back pocket just in case the com- conversation goes south, right? So like, oh, the weather today, right? It's great. So, but then also amongst those things, I also was like, okay, I'm going to uh, practice saying his name because I don't want to mess up his name on my first meeting him. So uh, when, I, when I meet him, finally get to that day where I'm meeting him, and I say, hi, Mr. Yadao, I'm Daniel. Right? So I, I, I approached him as Mr. Yadao. But at the end of the week, as we got to know each other, right, we spent Thanksgiving together, uh, then he said at the end, you can call me Uncle Buddy. And in Hawaii, okay, uncle is a term of respect. That's something you call somebody who's, who's older than you. And, and yeah, so he's not my actual uncle. But he was like, you can call me Uncle Buddy. I was like, cool, that's awesome. He must like me. So, but then there came a time when Kayla and I got married. And then his name changed again. It was no longer just Uncle Buddy, but it became Dad. Because of the relationship that I developed with my father-in-law and the more that I've gotten to know his personality, the title in which I call him has changed over time. And David calls the Lord my shepherd because of the deep relationship that he has with the Lord. And because the Lord is David's shepherd, David knows this, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Imagine with me not having any wants. And we're coming up to the biggest I want season of the year, Christmas. And some of you have probably already started putting your I want lists together. But because David's relationship with God is like that of a shepherd and sheep, he knows there's nothing that he could ever want. 
He will never be in want because a good shepherd cares and protects his sheep. And the cool thing is that David would know this so well because David, before he became a king, before he killed Goliath and, and was anointed king of Israel, he was a shepherd. He was trained in the ways of the shepherd. So he knows what a good shepherd is like. And as we read Psalm 23, we're going to reflect on David's reflections of what a good shepherd looks like. The sheep don't want for anything because the shepherd leads his sheep where they need to go. We're going to learn today that the sheep can be confident in the shepherd's leading. So ready to see where he leads? There are three places that he leads us today. Let's jump in and see the first place. He leads us to right and restful paths. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we're going to stop right there. It is the job of the shepherd to lead his sheep to places where they can rest and replenish. Think of, it, think of it this way. When you go on a road trip, okay, you're going to do the work by looking at the route before you hop on a 10-hour drive. Am I right? Because if you're just like, I'm going to wing this thing, you don't know. You don't know what construction is going on there. You don't know what rest stops are open and what rest stops are closed. I learned that last year at Christmas time when my wife and I drive to Montreal Christmas Eve and all of our favorite rest stops were closed. And she was pregnant at the time. And so I got to figure something out, right? So when you go on a road trip, you prepare, you plan, you look ahead. You're going to be like, all right, cool. At three hours north, we're going to stop at this rest stop for gas, all right? And that's going to get us the, that's going to get us the rest of the way, right? You're going to plan those things out because it's bad news when the re next rest stop is 70 miles down the road and the gas light comes on, right? You don't want to be in that situation. What we learn in this verse is that the shepherd, he knows where he's going, and knows where to lead his sheep for rest and replenishment. You see, the green pastures, they are safe for the sheep to lie down. And notice that the shepherd, he makes the sheep lie down. The older I get, the more I realize that humans are horrible at resting. How many of you would say that you, are, you know how to rest? See, like some of you are like, oh, maybe... Yeah, we're pretty, pretty terrible at resting. Why is that? Because busyness has become this badge of honor for success in our day. It's this badge of, of success. The more you hustle, the further that you're going to get in life. But the shepherd knows that the sheep need rest and sleep. God himself rested after he created the universe. He knows the sheep need to rest. So he makes them lie down. He also leads the sheep beside still waters. The quiet waters are the wells and springs where the sheep can take their time to drink and replenish for the road ahead. The green pastures and the still waters show that the shepherd provides a safe place free from predators where the sheep can eat, drink, and sleep. And I don't know if you've ever met a sheep before, but they're not, they're not necessarily scary, right? They're like the first ones to, like the predators are like, cool, 
we're going to go after the sheep because what are they going to do to defend themselves, right? So I did some research on sheep this week. And for you shepherds out there, please correct me afterwards if I'm wrong on this. But I was reading that sheep only get four hours of sleep. They rarely sleep, right? And I think part of that reason is because, like, they got to be on their guard, right? They have to be on their guard for their lives. But what we learn here about our shepherd, the one that we follow, is that he's leading us to a place where you can rest and you can relax because he's got your back. And where he's leading you to, it's to a place where, hey, this is safe. You can sleep. You can lie down. But what David is writing about extends the mere provision (coughs) of material needs. Verse 3 tells us that the shepherd, what does he do? He restores my soul. So yes, he takes care of all my, all the needs that I have, water and food to eat and where I'm going to sleep. But, but more importantly, what we're getting to is that the Lord, he restores my soul. If you need strength, joy, peace, comfort, wisdom, you don't need to look anywhere else because you know what? The shepherd has got it covered. All right, we can all go home now. Cool. He's everything that we need. But easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. Because we are pulled from all sides every day. And the world is inviting you and me to look elsewhere instead of looking to the shepherd for restoration. For restoration from our souls. But the things of this world, they don't restore us. They numb us. They numb us to the pain that we experience. It doesn't give us full restoration. So practically then, practically, what are we as the people of God, what are we supposed to look to for restoration? You're saying look to the Lord, but what does that even look like in my life? Well, David writes this earlier. (laughs) He says in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The Lord gives us his perfect word, his perfect word, so that we can learn it, that we can study it, that we can live by it and be restored by it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. This is such a cool picture because what do we see here? The Lord, he literally breathes out. He gives us his word and he literally breathes into it. So that when you and I, when we pick up the Bible and when we go to the scripture, and when we, when we open it up, we're inhaling his breath. We're inhaling what he's doing, what he's breathing out. And as we take that in, as we take in his air, his oxygen, what does it do? It revives us. It revives our soul. So we look to the scriptures. He he restores our soul. And then what we see next is that he leads us in paths of righteousness. Meaning he leads us in right paths. Literally, that's that's what David is saying. He leads me the right way. Because that's what a good shepherd does. He leads me the right way. He doesn't, lead, he doesn't take me on meaningless detours around town or around the, 
the valley, right? No, he takes me the right way. He's not going to tire out his sheep, but as the sheep follow his voice, his word, they can be confident that they will be led, they will be led to right and restful paths. The shepherd leads his sheep for their sake, but also for his name's sake. Which is really interesting, right? You would think that he would end this sentence by, he leads me in paths of righteousness for my sake. He's doing that for me, right? But no, he says he's doing that for his name's sake. God is doing that for his reputation as well. You see, and the Lord upholds his name and reputation by displaying his power, his love, his care, and his faithfulness to the people. In this moment in history, there's the people of Israel and the surrounding nations. They know, they've heard the stories of how God has protected his children how God has moved in power, how God delivered his people out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. They've heard the stories. So as God is faithful to David, he's doing that for his sake, for his reputation as well, to be like, this is my nature. I continue to lavish care and protection on my people. Man, aren't you thankful this morning? Because everything that we read right here about the, the... the shepherd being so good to David, he is good to us in the exact same way. Why we serve a shepherd who cares for us. He's faithful to provide and he's faithful to restore your soul. The sheep, what can we do? We can be confident in the shepherd's leading because he leads us in right paths. But how many of you know that the right paths sometimes lead us to rough terrain. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the shepherd, he leads us through the valley. He leads us through the valley. He provide, what we've learned so far is that he provides care and protection for his own. But how can we remain confident in our shepherd when we walk through the dark valleys? Is he less good when we go through hard times? And you may have asked yourself that question before. I know I have. Lord, where are you? Did he abandon us and lead us to the slaughter? Well, let's see what David says. David paints a picture for us. In his context, as shepherds journeyed with their sheep, they would travel through wadis and ravines, okay? So this is a wadi. And you can see how it's this deserted place with really rough terrain. There's steep slopes, and it's just, it makes it difficult for you to lead your flock through the wadi. These low, dry valleys were unpredictable, especially during rainy seasons, and they often kept out sunlight. So the picture of the valley of the shadow of death represents the uncertainty of life, the difficult and scary seasons that we go through. And no matter how difficult or scary the terrain appears, David says this. He says, I don't have to fear. Why? 
How can he possibly say that? How can he possibly say, man, he doesn't need to fear when he goes through the valley of the shadow of death? Because you are with me. The Lord, the shepherd, he is with me. So I don't need to, I don't need to be afraid because I know who my shepherd is. I know that he has mapped this thing out. I know that he is going to be faithful to protect me and care for me even through the toughest of times. You, Lord, are with me. See, not only is the shepherd ahead of the flock leading the way, but here we see in the, in the scary seasons, he's beside them. He comes beside his sheep to guide them and to comfort them. Church, like David, we can be confident that the Lord will be present in the unpredictable and difficult seasons of life. He doesn't say that we will not go through things because we live in a fallen and evil world. We can expect the valley of the shadow of death, but what brings us comfort is that the Lord will be present every single step of the way. Whatever you are walking through right now, know that he is ahead of you leading the way. Know that he is also behind you watching your back and then know that he is beside you saying, hey, it's okay. We're gonna get through this. Hey, it's okay. I'm right beside you. You don't need to fear. Don't worry. I'm not so far ahead that you can't see me. I'm right here. But Daniel, understand that he is present. But what happens when the wolves and the and the lions they come to attack us? What happens when I lose my way because he is tending and, and all the other sheep and, and he doesn't have time for me? Well, I'm glad you asked because the shepherd he doesn't go on a journey without being prepared. The shepherd was equipped with two things, the rod and the staff. So the rod was almost like a club that the shepherd would use to protect against predators, right? So when lions and wolves and you name it came their way, shepherd was ready with his rod. And then he had his staff, which you may have seen a shepherd's staff before. That's probably more popular thing that you see um, with the little hooked um, top thing. I, I, you can, obviously, I'm not a shepherd, so yeah. Uh, but what they would do with that is that they would use that to guide and to control the sheep. So if the sheep was straying off, if he was going off course or going somewhere dangerous, uh, 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 the shepherd will pull him back. Oh, no, 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 not that way, not that way. You don't want to go there. Trust me, you do not want to go there. So he's equipped, the shepherd, he's equipped with his rod and his staff. He's equipped to protect us from the predator, to protect us from the enemy, and also to guide, to guide us through life. The shepherd, he leads us through the valley, and we can be confident in his leading because he is with us and is prepared to defend and guide us. And for those of you who are in a dark valley today, I want to encourage you that he sees you. He sees you. He's not twiddling his thumbs saying, all right, I'm on the other side of the wadi. I sprinted ahead, okay, because this place scares me too, and I'll see you guys on the other side. No, he doesn't do that. But what he is saying to you is, look at me. Don't fear. Don't fear the evil that comes through by day and the, and the dark that comes at night, but keep your eyes on me. I'm beside you. And another thing that I want us to notice here, okay, when we go through life's valleys, 
is that we're not alone. We have the Lord that is with us, but we're a part of a flock. What we have been learning the last few weeks is that we are all a part of a flock, the flock of God. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't do it alone. What you are going through, the hard seasons that you are going through, don't do it alone because there is strength in numbers and it's important that the flock stays together because the enemy is looking to pick off the stray sheep. When one goes off, it's easier for the enemy to grab them. But you have a flock, you have a people who are there to come alongside you and support you and remind you to look to your shepherd. Well, I don't know about you, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel, or wadi. Uh, the shepherd, what he does, he leads us to right and restful paths. He leads us through the valley. And the last place that we're going to see that he leads us to this morning is that he leads us home. He leads us home. Let's read these last few verses together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. So as we move through these last few verses, you may have noticed a little bit of an imagery change, okay? It seems that our shepherd is now taking on the form of a gracious host. David is invited to dine at the Lord's table with a very interesting guest list, if you noticed, right? Something doesn't appear to, to be right. How many of you invite random people over for dinner to sit at your table? Yeah. I see one person. God bless you, sir. I'm going to come over to your place later. There's something so unique and special about the table. Just a few days ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and I'm sure a number of you gathered around a table with family, friends, loved ones, and you shared a meal together. The table is this picture of fellowship and unity. Inviting someone into your home to sit and eat a meal with you, it's an intimate thing. In the Old Testament, when people would do that, when they would invite people to their home, right, it was, there would be covenants that were formed at the dinner table. Relationships were restored at the dinner table. There was something unique and special there. And the Lord, he invites David, but he's inviting us to sit at his table. And this just goes to show us that our shepherd, he continues to lavish his love and his care on us by inviting us over. He invites us to come sit at my table. Come, I will be, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to host you. However, notice who else is around the table. In the presence of my enemies. Now that's interesting. And I, I'm going to tell you, I, had a good, I spent a good deal of time trying to understand what David meant by this. And there's a few different schools of thought out there. Out, there's a few schools of thought that are out there uh, that talk about this. And I'd love to, to just share what I've learned and also one of the most interesting things that I've heard as I came, as I came across in my study. <clears throat> the first uh, school of thought is that what David is partaking in here is a victory feast. The table is set and the host anoints his guest, his head, with oil 
right? He didn't accidentally drop olive oil on his guest, okay? Now they got to go home and change. No, this is something that was customary that you would do when somebody would enter your home to partake in a meal with you. You would, you would anoint their head with oil, right? It's this sign of just blessing on someone's life. Next, we see that my cup overflows. So he's, so God is inviting David to his home. He's inviting us to his home. And guess what? You're not running out of food. You're not running out of drink because your cup is overflowing. Right? Flashback to verse 1 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My cup overflows. The Lord, he knows what we need. And he just, he gives in abundance. And the first school of thought is this about the enemies, is that they are, that they are witnessing the celebration feast as the captives. Their loss and destruction is being rubbed in their faces and justice is served, right? David is being vindicated, right? And this just feels like a really good movie, right, at the end. Like, yeah, like, you know, the good guy wins and the other people are, are taken captive, ha ha. But then there's another school of thought that this kind of lines up with verse 4 about how David doesn't need to fear the enemy. He doesn't need to fear um, evil. Why? Because who else is at that table? The Lord. So David can enjoy good food. He can enjoy good drink, even in the presence of his enemies, because the Lord is there protecting him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful picture? But another thing that I saw in my study was a little bit different. And, um, and, and I'll ask this, who else in the Bible spent time around the table surrounded by his enemies? Jesus, yeah, you're right. It's like the Sunday school answer, right? Like, uh, Jesus, yeah, you're right, you got it. <clears throat> Jesus. And Jesus' enemies were those who hated what he was preaching, and what he was doing. Those who hated the types of people that Jesus hung around. Those who hated his movement and wanted to put an end to it. Church, we spent the last two years in the book of Mark. And and how many times have we seen Jesus teaching? And there are people who are grasping to what he's teaching and, and are loving what he's teaching and just want to be around Jesus all the time. And then there were those who are like, we're waiting for this guy to fail or to say something so that we can accuse him. And they filled their hearts so much with bitterness that they're like, yeah, we're waiting for the moment that he says something so blasphemous that we can kill him. And we're going to get to part six of, of the book of Mark here shortly, but I'll give you a little bit of a, I'll give you a spoiler alert, right? They do. They finish the job. They finish the job. They're, they are filled with so much hate that they, that they kill Jesus. But notice Jesus' interaction around the table. And this quote sums it up pretty well by David Gibson. He says, Jesus is not humiliating them, those enemies around the table, but he's seeking to humble them. And in so doing, he shows his own humility. He's not gloating over them, but he's inviting them. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The door is open to all. There is ready, there is a ready, wide, capacious invitation to any who will come and eat and drink with him. All you need to do is know that you are lost. 
God prepares his table, anoints his guests with oil, and serves him food and drink that is overflowing. And as we've seen in this psalm so far, we have seen the Lord's reputation, that he is a, a, he is a God who cares and provides for his sheep. But we also know another side to the Lord's reputation. And he is a God that is gracious to forgive. And I just thought this was so interesting that, that being around the table, right, as David is sitting around the table in the presence of his enemies, the Lord could also be humbling them in a way not to rub it in their faces, but humbling them in a way to say like, look what you're missing out on. Look what you're missing out on. But the invitation is there and it stands for you to come and to experience this as well. The Lord is gracious to forgive. He has open arms for those who turn from their, way, their sinful ways and say, I follow you. Yes, the table that's prepared, it's for God's people. It's for his own. But it's also like the Lord to show his care and generosity to those, to others, so that they would humble themselves and turn to him. He did it with me. He did it with you. We were once so far off from the Lord. Enemies because we lived in sin. But he invited us, come. God's care and generosity doesn't stop there. Look at what else he says. He says, David says, says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. As David follows the shepherd, as we follow the shepherd, something's following us. Look over your shoulder. What is it? Goodness and mercy. We've seen the Lord's goodness throughout this psalm, right? The Lord is the, he is good, right? Everything outside of God is not good, but he is like the, he's the perfect description of what is good. Nothing inside the Lord is not good. He is the very essence good and everything that he does is good and complete. That's why in Romans 8, 28, he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work for good. So we see God's goodness is following us, but also God's mercy. God's mercy. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit of Hebrew here as we close in our time together. But the word for the word mercy here is better translated to steadfast love or chesed in Hebrew. And this word is so important because chesed is associated with God's covenantal love with his people. And in this case, we're talking about Israel in Psalm 23. But a perfect God made a covenant with an imperfect people. All right, let's go back to Exodus when God leads his people out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. They come to the Red Sea. There's no way for them to, to escape the Egyptians. Okay, God opens the, opens the Red Sea right in front of their very eyes, creates a path for them to escape. Egyptians continue to follow them, and God takes care of it one more time by destroying the Egyptians. So he does all of this, and then he makes this covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, and he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And as this is happening, Israel is at the bottom of the mount, mountain, pulling together their gold, and they're, and they're trying to make this gold calf that they can worship. 
They're trying to pull their, their resources together and, and say, we need a God that we can worship. So let's go ahead and make a golden calf. Man, what? I don't know about you, but if I was the Lord, I'd be like, all right, that's it. That's it. I'm going to leave you in the wilderness. I would be done. I would say, you know what? You don't deserve my love. I'm going to show my love to, to someone who's way more worthy than you guys. Right? That's what, would, that's what I would do. But thank God that I am not the Lord. Right? That's what makes God so good. Is that even after all of that, he says, I'm still going to be your God. You're going to be my people. God knew that Israel wouldn't be able to hold their end of the bargain up. And he said, I'm still going to make this promise. I'm still going to make this covenant with you. This is what David says will follow him all the days of his life. Is God's goodness and his chesed, his steadfast love. That even when we are not perfect, even when we fall short and we fail, God will love us. And lastly, David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. The Lord isn't like earthly hosts who say, all right, it's nine o'clock. Time for us to go. Time for you guys to go. All right, you can't, you don't need to go home, but you can't stay here. Right? The Lord does not do that with us. But what he is doing is that he invites us to the table and he invites us to stay and experience him forever. David is invited into this everlasting fellowship with the Lord. And David's not staying in this physical house for the rest of, the, of his life, but he experiences the Lord's goodness and mercy daily. For those who have experienced the Lord, there is this everlasting fellowship with him. He invites us into his home. He proves to us time and time again that we can be confident in the shepherd's leading. We can be confident that he's going to lead us to the right and restful past. We can be confident that he's going to lead us through the valley. And we can be confident that he's going to lead us home and he's going to take care of us there, even there. Our, his home becomes our home. This is what the shepherd has for his sheep, for those who follow him. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close out today. And maybe you're here and the Lord isn't your shepherd. I want you to know that the invitation is here. All you have to do is humble yourself and surrender your life to him. And he will lead you. He will lead you. He will care for you. He will protect you. He will shower love on you. He will forgive you. And he will lead you home to his home. I know the words humble and surrender are a little hard for us to swallow in our culture today. But I want to read... Uh, I want to read this scripture that will kind of tie it all together. And Sam actually read a little bit of this earlier. And Jesus writes this, right? David is calling God the good shepherd. And then Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. 
So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, the Lord isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't already set the example for. He's not saying, surrender your life. Follow me forcefully. But he sends his son, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He surrenders his life for the sake of the flock, for the sake of you and me. And I love this because he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking to Gentiles, people who aren't Jews. And he says that they're not of this flock, but they need a shepherd. And you know what? I'm going to lay my, de- my life down so that they can partake of this life as well. He laid down his life for those who didn't belong to him so that they would have the opportunity to experience life and become part of his flock. This is the God we serve, church. This, this is the God that we serve. This is the shepherd that we follow. He is so good and merciful. Psalm 23 reveals to us that the sheep can be confident in the shepherd's leading. The Lord did answer my prayer, by the way, when I relied upon him at seven years old. He led me the right way, and I made it home safe and sound. But from a young age, I learned to depend on the Lord daily. All right, and something that we have to do constantly, daily. It's not like, all right, all right, Lord, I follow you, and then I never approach the subject again. But daily, we need to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my ways, but your ways. Lord, not not my wisdom for the best path to go through, but your wisdom. Something that we have to do every single day. So as we close, do you trust him wholeheartedly? Do you trust that he will lead and guide you? Do you surrender your rights and your ways and listen to what he has to say? And if not, what are the things that are keeping you from him today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you're just so good and gracious to us. We thank you that you are a good shepherd to us, that we can follow you, that you are a shepherd worth following. In this world, there are so many people and authorities that are trying to take control of people's lives, but Lord, we know that there's no one as good as you. There's no one that we are more confident in. There's no one that we trust in more, but it's you. You're our rock. You're our foundation. You're our shepherd. And God, I pray that you would help us, God, in whatever season of life that we find ourselves in, whether we're in an area right now where we are resting and sleeping, or if we are in a season where we are just going through the valley of the shadow of death, wherever we are right now, God, I just pray that we would look to you continuously, day in and day out, that we would look to our shepherd and just be confident that you will lead us. Be confident that we can trust in you and teach us, Lord, what that looks like for our everyday lives. And God, help us to do that together. May we not go it alone, but God, may we rely even on one another as we are all on this journey together. So we love you, Lord. You are so good. You are so great. 
We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing and respond this morning. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.